0: All right, time for the Global Threat uh, Solution Report Uh, with the Captain Ken Bomb Base. Global Threat Solutions, again, as mentioned, a 100% military veteran-owned security investigations firm. Global Headquarters, folks, are right here on Long Island uh, in Suffolk County. offices as well in the city, Miami, L.A., Frankfurt, uh, and Mumbai. The captain, 21 years, law enforcement intelligence experience, serving as a military intelligence officer in the Middle East for— peace of mind in uncertain times. Uh, make a phone call. ask some questions. 646-946-6649. Globalthreatsolutions.com. Great website. Loads of information. The aforementioned uh, Captain Ken Base, he gets my first Happy New Year as far as uh, coming into play here. We thank you for joining us, sir. How
1: are you? Happy New Year, Jay. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Great having you. It was a great New Year for all, especially with the news on Friday with... Brian, Christopher Koberger, Cap, uh, uh, in custody of all places, Pennsylvania, far cry, 2,500 miles or so from the crime scene in Moscow, Idaho. But uh, it all begins in earnest tomorrow with uh, extradition waived. He'll be back uh, in the courts uh, in Moscow, Idaho, to face some charges for first-degree murder charges the Waits, Koberger, in essence. How did this whole thing come down?
1: So, Jay, it seems that they had locked on to the suspect right before Christmas, and they were following him, FBI surveillance, uh, from that point until he arrived back in Pennsylvania. And then, as we know now, they, they moved in and uh, with an arrest warrant and took the subject into custody. Mm.
0: Um. DNA. I'm sure, played a role. We'll get more. You know, there's not a lot of information. I saw the press conference on Friday with the man in charge there, the chief, James Fry, out in Idaho. But, Cap, uh, I would imagine uh, a lot of DNA genealogy and everything else that is kind of phrased played a big role in this whole thing, correct?
1: That's right. Uh, Police apparently took DNA from the scene ran it through a public database, and then used genetic genealogy techniques to connect the DNA to the suspect. to his family members, actually, which is something that's commonly done in modern criminal investigations. But like you mentioned, Jay, as big a development as this is, there's still a lot of questions people have. Did we have contact? Did he have contact or a nexus to these victims prior to the attack? What was his motive? No one knows that. What is directly linked to the sus uh, the suspect to the victims? How long did they have him as a suspect before they moved on him? And and even did he act alone? I mean, we we assume at this point he he didn't, but none of these questions have been answered, and and we're not going to know any more really until he arrived in Idaho in in court.
0: Yeah, and. It's interesting because, you know, the family of Koberger is saying, you know, listen, he's innocent. He had nothing to do with this. And then Fry, of course, saying, yeah, we have our guys. So were you surprised how quickly uh, Koberger and his attorneys kind of waived extradition here?
1: Not really. I think that he's going to probably plead not guilty. And he, he wants to seem cooperative, his attorney. There's really no sense in it not, it's just gonna, um, it's just going to prolong things, and I think the, the message put out by the family was actually very carefully, but well-worded, you know, they showed a lot of sympathy for the families of the victims, and they said they're gonna be completely cooperative, but of course they want to promote, you know, um, their son's, uh, presumed innocence at this point.
0: Well, uh, talking with the cap regarding the suspect in custody, as far as the Slayings of the four college students uh, in Idaho. So, you know, you you get little blurbs of information as far as the background of this guy and everything else. And, you know, I kind of stated the last couple of days, you know, he kind of fits a profile when you think about it. It's kind of a common denominator when somebody of his ilk gets bullied and whatnot, rejected uh, by women, calling him a creep, get away from me, that type of thing way back. He was a... Uh, going for his PhD, University uh, Washington State, Pullman, Washington, which is only about eight and a half miles um, from Moscow, Idaho, where that house was, that frat house was. Uh, so, uh, in essence, you know he he's got kind of a weird background, Cap. You know, uh, one of the backgrounds in which you know a lot of people didn't have very kind things to say about him. So I'm a little surprised. Maybe involved as far as his uh, uh, PhD classes and whatnot. Uh, but in essence, you know, a criminology major kind of knew the ins and outs in his studies, uh, which certainly comes into play as far as if he is the guy, correct?
1: Oh, yeah. He had a uh, strong in- interest in the criminal mind and criminal procedure, and specifically things where seeing come forward in this case right now as far as DNA um, and other evidence that prosecutors prosecutors used to win convictions um, he had an intense interest in this I'm sure that we're going to see that that is in some way related to his his actions on the night of the murders and that and you know like you said I think his background we'll see um, some of the um, you know the identifiers of, of serial killers he had a strong for instance he had a serial killer uh, he had a strong interest in serial killers and studied them and There was like a pretty renowned professor at at the first university where he went for his bachelor 's degree and where he studied under her and was had a strong interest in serial killers. I think a lot of information about that in his background is going to come out and and it 's going to start to connect some of the dots as far as far as why he acted the way he did it 's just the unknowns you know people have such a um a curiosity in this case it, across the country and and beyond. People want to know all the details at this point, and I think that investigators have to be very careful and only release information as it's needed because they have to protect the integrity of their case right now. I mean, the the bottom line is the important thing right now is to make sure that if he's the person that committed these crimes, that he's convicted and, and sentenced.
0: Very careful, as noted by the attorney, district attorney over there in Moscow on Friday at that news conference uh, as well, talking with a cap uh, regarding the uh, suspect in custody uh, from the Idaho killing. So cap, you know, this white Alondra uh, has been in play for the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, photo taken not far from that house in Idaho. Uh, there was a car that was picked up in Oregon. A white elantra was not the car some woman had it. it was a crash scene and whatnot but uh apparently uh there was a white honda elantra uh as far as pennsylvania was concerned uh is that a fact
1: right i believe that's the vehicle that they traveled from washington back to pennsylvania in and were and they were surveilled by the fbi during at that point and jay i've conducted investigations where we've had say A description of a vehicle or even a partial plate and they didn't I don't believe they had a license plate I think they just had a description of a vehicle now remember they had a color a make a model but they had a date range so they weren't even exactly sure of the the date range which is common so you know I think it was 22,000 potential hits they had to look for so these these could be uh, you know painstaking investigations it takes time Because then you have to go through state databases, and that's how you would do it. You would look at registrations for vehicles that meet these descriptions, and then you're going to go by state and across the country, obviously, and see what vehicles might uh, potentially fit. Then you have to look at the registered owners of those vehicles. So a lot goes into that. But, yes, the the short answer is that that vehicle was involved. Uh, And I think at this point there's no murder weapon that has been – found, but the vehicle and DNA evidence were two key elements that led them to this suspect.
0: For the piecemealing as far as um, the targeting of these individuals, if there was some sort of, you know, kind of a meeting uh, that took place uh, with any of the four uh, over the last several weeks, you know, this was a guy also seen in and around town with gloves on, cap, you know, he seemed to be very methodical, and thus, you know, his his studies certainly indicated at least that, but, you know, very bright guy, uh, according to many who knew him, uh, but gloves on at the supermarket and everything else, trying to protect himself, fingerprints, maybe, who knows, but uh, that's what you kind of get as far as the M.O. of this guy, huh?
1: Yeah, and this is, you know, we've been hearing so much about the crime scene and how violent it was. And I think it's impossible for someone to commit a crime like this and not leave some DNA evidence. And I think that's what really uh, that was the turning point for them was they were able to use. And, and, you know, you hear so much of this nowadays, but they were able to use a public database with that DNA that they found there. And they actually linked him through family members of his. So there was DNA out there that was from family members that they were able to, to use. Now you know there's so many people now that use these genealogy sites where they're trying to track their uh, family ancestry, and it's you know this could be one of the potential databases that they use to try and link uh, this suspect. And it's just you know it's modern techniques that not long ago these these resources were not available for criminal investigators, and I think that's probably you know going to be the uh, the most important evidence they have against him in this case that the fact that his DNA was at the crime scene.
0: Getting out of the fact that after this guy was brought into custody there is some verbiage at least being reported that he wanted to know if anybody else was arrested. Uh, Do you take that into consideration as being any truthful type of verbiage as far as having an accomplice in this thing?
1: It's hard to say, Jay. Could he could he, if he's saying that he's innocent, he might just be trying to act as if they're, they're not sure who it was? Or does that mean that potentially there were other, uh, that he had accomplices? Uh, at this point, again, we don't have those facts, and they're not going to release any of that information anytime, you know, prior to him going to court right now and in arriving in Idaho.
0: Uh, so, in essence, timeline here, he gets extradited back. To the state of Idaho, court proceeding tomorrow. Give me next steps of what we could see the rest of this week.
1: So it's going to be within just days, and they, as you know, they're uh, they're going to extradite him back to Washington State, and he's agreed to that. And then they're going to have to officially indict him on those charges uh, in the state of Idaho. And then I think at that point, Jay, you know, obviously you'll that will then get some court some. Some follow-on court dates. I don't think he's going to be released, obviously, on on bail of any type. And then you're going to, we're going to start to get a timeline as far as the next court dates in his case. And I think also there's going to be a bit of a little information dump for us because once he gets there and um, and he's indicted, we're going to. I think they're going to be able to release some more information that we don't have right now. Now, not a lot. I don't think they're going to be putting out details that they don't have to. But I think that some of the basic questions people have right now are going to be answered as far as of the suspects and uh, what other evidence that they might have.
0: Estimation, final one before we move on to the next topic. Uh, the weapon itself, do you do you feel that we will find the murder weapon at some point when things unravel here?
1: I, I don't know about that, Jerry. If I had a guess, I'd say no. A murder weapon is something that's pretty, uh, you know, he's had time he's had time obviously we know that this was supposed to be some type of like a military style knife i think if he wanted to that thing could have been uh could have been uh thrown away someplace where they wouldn't be able to uh you know retrieve it the only thing would be is when they're dealing with him if he's cooperative at this point and and he explains to them what happened and what he did with it and gives them you know, and tells them, "Hey, here is where the the murder weapon is." That is a possibility if he's trying to be cooperative uh, during the investigation.
0: In the cap with us, Kim Bombay's Global Threat Solutions. Let's move on. As far as police officers uh, in Suffolk County, uh, very tough scene. What happened in Medford uh, last week? Cap with uh, the officers. You know, I tell you, uh, it was a little uh, a little scarier than I think a lot of people thought. As far as one of the cops on a ventilator and everything else, uh, how did this whole thing get started? Is another is an individual uh, at a home? Cops were called to that home, and then everything broke loose here. But give me, give me uh, a situation as far as uh, your assessment of everything gone gone awry here.
1: Yeah, so this was a horrific incident, and and we're so lucky that these officers survived. Incidents like this one need to serve as a reminder to the people here in Suffolk County, really throughout our country, Jay, of the really tough job our police have, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they never know, Jay, what they're walking into. Like you said, this turned out, this was a call of an individual who was threatening people with a fire extinguisher, I believe it was. Now, the police get calls like that every day every day throughout the county, they get calls like that. You don't know when you're going to go there. They didn't know when they were going to go there, that they were, their lives would be in danger and that they would, you know, these, were, these officers both could have been killed, came very close to dying from this, this attack. And I think, you know, this uh, is a great example of why we can't allow activists who are ignorant of how policing works to have any fan or criminal justice policy. You know, ideas like we've heard about, Jay, during, over the last two years of psychologists or mental health teams responding to calls in certain circumstances instead of or in conjunction with police is ridiculous. Because, again, this was a call of a guy harassing people to fire extinguisher. They, you don't know what's coming when you get there. You did, they didn't know that he was going to almost kill both officers when they arrived and he was going to be violent and have a knife there you don't get to pick and choose when that call comes over what it's going to be some of them come over and they seem like they might be just minor incidents i'm sure these officers were not thinking when they were going to this call that their lives should be in danger you know but that's what that's the point i'm trying to make is you know so many people have turned and they're trying to weaken the police and and the resources that they have i think that what we need to do is look at incidents like this one and in 2023 let's make this the turning point we need to make this the year where now legislators are working to strengthen our uh, criminal justice system, system and give our police officers more resources and power. There needs to be stiffer penalties, I believe, for anyone that attacks or threatens the life of a police officer. You know, there's a this, this individual two years ago was in prison for doing just that, assaulting a police officer. Maybe, maybe with the right legislation, he wouldn't have been out on the streets and could have done this again. So I think that's what this needs to be a reminder of right now. You don't get—I've been to so many calls. You don't get to pick and choose which ones are going to turn out to be really, really uh, potentially violent incidents. Doesn't say that, and, and usually you don't find out until you get there.
0: This is well—you uh, and I have spoken about this. You know what goes on in the city as far as individuals who are mentally impaired not being properly monitored. Uh, this is uh, an immense problem, and uh, you can get a sense now it has spilled over uh, here into Suffolk County as far as what happened in Medford. Uh, it, it is an ongoing issue, and uh, and this was a regular condominium complex where these officers were summoned,
1: correct? Yes, and and I'll tell you, Jay, in my experience as a Suffolk County police officer, you, you know, you... So many people that that you talk to who are not directly involved in policing, they would be like, really, that happens in Suffolk County? They think that, that, you know, they're not fully aware of the level of crime and the seriousness of the, the criminals that these officers face every single day. It's one of the biggest police departments in the country. It's usually, I think, like number 12 or 13 in the entire country. And when I would tell people about, you know, gang members and homicides and cases that were being worked on, they'd be like, really, right here? They don't even know. I, I've always said one of the best tools to uh, for police departments should be to uh, educate the public on what it is they really do, like ride-along programs where people in the citizen academies where the people really get to see. Every time I've, I've been assigned to take people on ride-alongs, every time they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe what really goes on. What you people, what you officers every day have to deal with in the streets. I think it would be one of the... the greatest resources for this police department and all police departments educate the public on what you really do and when they see it they have a greater respect for that and then you're going to get the support that you that you deserve
0: cap with us uh, kim bomby's global threat solution uh, report ladies and gentlemen all right let's go to uh, an incident uh i'll tell you first one unfortunately of this new year uh, a machete attack cap uh, with three uh, NYPD officers 52nd and eighth it was just blocks away from Times Square in the New year's celebration the festivities all in play there but quite a scene it was a very scary one for those uh, police officers who were attacked unprovoked uh, by this uh, teenager who eventually by the way was shot uh, in the shoulder happened a little after 10. Uh, as well, very scary scene there when you think about it. Cap,
1: how did it unfold? So, Jay, we've unfortunately seen this, especially in New York City, so many times. These unprovoked violent attack, uh, violent attacks on police officers, but they have seconds, not even seconds, to, to respond. And, and again, amazing police work that it that it ended up that it ended the way that it did. Um, this this individual completely unprovoked on a night that we all know is complete chaos in new york city and these officers were violently attacked with the machete um they believe at this point that there could be a radical islamic um ideology involved in this individual's background but he had violently attacked this these officers with a machete they had almost no time to respond fortunately they were able to respond successfully and the, and the officers lived um what I would say is also, you know, it's like a reminder again. Just like we saw in Suffolk County, you never get these officers don't know what they're going into that night. They when they were when they were heading in for their tour of duty, they had no idea that their life was going to be threatened that very you know night, and that they would almost die from a violent attack. No one was thinking about that. So it's just a reminder of how tough the job is, first of all, but also it's a reminder for all with all the issues we struggle. Domestically, globally as Americans right now, Jay, and we talk about it every week. There's a lot of them. We can't forget about terrorism. You know, whether it's homegrown domestic terrorism or, or, you know, international terrorism, we can't let ourselves forget about that because it's still there. It's still there. And we can't let that be catch us off guard. Like it did, like it has in, in previously. And it was so devastating in New York. So we need to remember that with all the other problems, all the other issues we face every day, we need to be making sure that we have the right resources, the right investment in our counterterrorism efforts to keep everybody safe.
0: Indoctrination of one of these officers who just just got out of the academy on Friday, uh, and all this unfolding Saturday—absolutely uh, incredible! And the fact that this these three cops are going home—you know, they're going home. Thank goodness. Uh, but. Uh, There's no question, you can't let your guard down. And this individual, by the way, this 19-year-old, had some sort of a jihadist background as far as some of the writings, correct? On a social media page, Cap?
1: That's right, and and we're going to see more come out about that. They're looking into this. And and I saw some reporting on this, and people say, well, the FBI, he was on the terror watch list, and he was a subject known to them, and they had surveilled him. And I've mentioned this before. Everyone loves to point fingers after an incident like this takes place and like, well, you know, this individual. After the fact, we all look at his Facebook and everyone says, oh, my God, how did not we do it more? There's limited resources, Jay. Okay? These people can't surveil all of these people every day, 24 hours a day. The FBI has to make tough decisions. And, and once in a while, you'll see an incident like this take place but they have limited resources. They have a tough job out there. There's lots of people to watch and it's not just terrorism. They deal with many other types of threats. So, you know, it's impossible to follow everybody all the time and funding resources. The number of agents are all limited and they have to make tough decisions. And once in a while, something like this is going to happen. And unfortunately, these officers uh, survived and, and handled the situation very effectively.
0: With us, uh, Kim Bombay's Global Threat Solutions. One more for you. That's the situation of the border, which you and I, you and I unfortunately, discuss um, quite frequently what's happening at the border and the fentanyl crisis. And, you know, we, we compare it to a plane crash. I hate to compare it that way. It's a plane crash. A day. 300 a day, folks. 300 a day we we lose on this, which is unconscionable. The fentanyl is coming in left and right. Uh, when it's all said and done, this administration since taken over will have 4 million-plus uh, encounters, over a million gotaways. Those, you know, with the 29,000 or so agents down there, they just can't corral everybody. You know, you got Title 42 right now, uh, you know, certainly on the brink. There's a bit of a, a stop uh, play as far as all the action down there, but uh, a, a very, very intense Situation right now where the cartels are having their their way. I mean, let's face it, and nobody's doing anything about it. And the biggest problem again is, you know, part of this administration is what's going on with the fentanyl cap. It's an ongoing deal as we turn the page into the new year.
1: That's right, Jay. As as you mentioned, they seized three hundred and seventy-nine million doses of fentanyl at border in twenty twenty-two. That's more than enough to kill every man, woman and child in America. Um, we know this poisons coming across the southern border, massive amounts, and we also know much of it comes from Mexico and China. Uh, and you know, Jay, Democrats have either completely ignored the border crisis or have said that they inherited a broken system that requires comprehensive immigration reform. That's a line we constantly hear. But the numbers don't lie, Jay, and this crisis began immediately when this administration took office. And I'll I'll tell you something. There is no time for comprehensive immigration reform right now. Republicans and Democrats can't agree on anything. They can't agree on the simplest legislation. We've seen this. And I think what we need now is we need them to work together to take immediate steps to lock down that border before we can move forward with any type of significant immigration reform. You know, what we have is an administration that has taken intentional steps that have essentially created an open border that has allowed criminals, fentanyl, terrorists, to the country in the highest numbers we've ever seen so we need action now not bickering you know Jay, our system of government doesn't allow for a vote of no confidence like so many other legislative systems we see around the world but i i bet you if they did a poll there's i can't think of an american that has confidence in our congress and senate right now no one nobody has confidence in them these these this problem has existed for 2 years we watch it on the news every day it's almost like white noise now where you see this devastating crisis on the border and nobody's doing anything about it and it's not just that border region it's all of the impact that i just mentioned terrorism coming across the terrorist terror watch list suspects in greater numbers ever fentanyl gangs uh, all of these uh, elements coming into our country while we all sit around and do nothing, whether our Congress and our Senate sit around and do absolutely nothing, and the administration. So I think people need to hold them responsible. I hope that with this new Congress coming in today, that we'll start to see some changes. I, I, I would like to see that they can work together to at least stop this, this crisis very quickly. We know how to do it, it's a policy problem, Not a money problem. They created this. They intentionally created this open-border situation. Shut it down. Right now, it's an emergency. And then let's work on on comprehensive immigration reform.
0: Dyer is at the top of my list, along with inflation. What's happening as far as our energy independence, which, of course, uh, has been eradicated. We know that for quite some time. But the border stuff and the Fentanyl stuff is at the top of my list. It must be attacked. The only silver lining, as you mentioned, Cap, is a new Congress. Uh, being sworn in, and that is the only hope of getting any common sense as far as a solution to this dire, dire issue, uh, and only getting worse, no question. The cap, uh, happy to report, will be with us all throughout twenty twenty three with his incredible reporting. Uh, solutions uh, dot com, ladies and gentlemen, solutions uh, dot com with the aforementioned. Uh, Captain Kenneth Bombay. It's good to have you. And a very happy new year to you and yours. And I look forward to the next time, sir.